Hi, and welcome to the Temple Podcast. I'm Edward. I'm the founder of the Temple, and we're here to really explore what it means to be human. So this podcast is a place for exploring the various temples of our humanity, our homes, our relationships, our bodies, our practices, and even our businesses. Each episode is dedicated to one guest, either a changemaker, a creative, a healer, a leader, or an entrepreneur. And over the conversations, we explore their work, their journeys, and what helps them continue to be of profound service to their community and to the world. In this episode, I speak with Alan Dolan, a breath coach and founder of Breath Guru, who has spent 15 years changing people's lives through the simple power of breathing. So Alan takes us on a beautiful journey through his personal and his professional exploration from a high-pressured career to discovering breathwork and then onwards to his current work with Breath Guru. So through this conversation, we touch on a few things, including the immense transformational power of breathing, what the temple, the concept of the temple truly means, and how you can start your journey with conscious breathing right now. It was a real pleasure to speak with Alan and to get to know him a bit better. And I really loved listening to him speaking of both his journey, but also of the wonderful and the profound wisdom that he shares with us. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful. So, um, given that we're in the middle of this very interesting time, Ed, uh, I've been using it to reflect a little bit mm. uh, on the journey so far. And obviously, I think, you know, a lot of us are, are sort of taking stock as where do we go from here? You know, yeah. are we going to do it the same? Is it going to be different? And um, one of the things I've been looking at actually was, was uh, right back sort of over the years and just looking at where I came from. And, you know, I was basically sort of working class Irish Roman Catholic, um, very sort of close-knit community in, in the northwest of England. Not the most liberal place that you're going to find yourself, you know. And I, as a gay man, that was quite challenging. And my parents were, you know, lovely, really great people. My mum was mentally ill, <clears throat> which was challenging because she was quite angry. And um, I spent a lot of time with her one-on-one. Yeah. And unfortunately, I was on the receiving end of, of a lot of that anger. And um, I think as just a little kid, as we all are, you know, as kids, we're very sensitive. We're really open to stuff. And that zero to seven period, as we now know, is super, super critical, yeah. as is the initial bonding with your, especially your mother. And I didn't really get any of that. Um, and in fact, I got sort of the opposite in a way. So I think that set me up to be quite an unhappy camper. And um, <clears throat> I was thinking about it this morning, actually. I just downloaded uh, a, a, a sort of a compilation of Van Halen. It was like a 50-quid compilation. It's everything they've ever done. <laughs> and I was thinking about how music really got me through, yeah. and it really did. Um, yeah. I've got older siblings. They were really out of the picture in a way. So I, I, it was more like being an only child. But one thing they did give me was I was able to access their record collections. So I got into Bowie really early. It was like seven. I was listening to that hunky-dory and, and mm. the Beatles and stuff. And um, I think that just kind of bridged that gap for me. I had somewhere I could go and escape, and music was that for me, and I, I love it just dearly. Uh, and what I, you know, looking at it now with sort of all that's happened, I realised that it, it escapes the cognitive. You know, the brilliant mm. thing about music is it's straight to your heart. Yeah. You either respond to it, you know, you respond to it in a very subjective way. Yeah. You can talk about it and analyse it, till you're blue in the face but actually it's really about how does it make you feel mm. and I think that was what it did for me it really still kept that connection with my feelings and I think I, I I sort of went towards rock you know because it was a lot of like power mm. it was sort of you know expression and alive, the, it was a yeah. sort of a, 
Yeah, and I saw a lot of gigs. I went to everything that was out there. So, so music was really a saving grace. Um, but frankly, you know, I was a depressed, kind of a disconnected uh, kid. And, um, and I think it really accentuated around adolescence because then, you know, you've got all the joys of adolescence kicking in and the hormonal changes and all of yeah. that. I was also realizing I was gay. So, and I was at this uh, Christian Brothers school, which I won't even go into, but you, I, you yeah. can guess. So, um, so I left, I went to university and I uh, did a business, a sort of business degree um, and just kind of, you know, got out. Um, I left home, which was great. I enjoyed university a lot, not really for the academics, more for the sort of social thing. I was meeting loads of different people and it, we just had a great time there. Um, and then I left England and, uh, you know, looking back on it now, it's pretty obvious, but you know, most people go to sort of London or I was in Manchester, so most people go to London or Birmingham. So I went to Sudan. <laughs> it was like, I wanted to make a really big, really big, big change. Distance. Yeah. Yeah. And I did VSO in Sudan. And, and I remember my dad saying to me before I went, he's like, oh, this is a flash in the pan. You know, you'll be back in a year. And I remember thinking, you have no idea, but I am never coming back to this ever. Um, so I got out and I didn't go back. I went to um, Asia after that. I spent uh, some time in Thailand before it was sort of Thailand, you know. Was, uh, I remember them going for like one million tourists and it seemed really big and now there's like tens of millions going. And it was just a fantastic experience, you know. It really broadened my view, as did Africa. I love Africa. Um, I pretty much always loved travel. That was another way I sort of escaped. And um, ended up in China, worked there for four or five years, and then came back. I got married at that point, massively, uh, massive case of denial and uh, seeking approval. And of course, my, my older siblings had all done marriage, uh, kids, mortgaged, you know, yeah. food escort, et cetera. So, do you know what I mean? It was that yeah. sort of model. And I was expected to, I, I thought I was expected to replicate the model. Yeah. And, um, I was just very disconnected, I think. And even though my life kind of was, was more interesting and, and I wasn't, you know, the, the parents were out of the picture, really. Um, I, was, I was not in a good way because I wasn't really connected to the reality of my internal environment. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> but one thing that did happen was I got married and that sort of brought things to a head because I realized I had this sort of flash of the future you talked about light bulb moments before we began to record and I had a really big one and it was uh, I saw the future and I saw that it was filled with pain for mm. both of us and unhappiness and lies really and I just thought I'm not willing to do that I'm just not willing to do it and I certainly don't want that for my wife so we had a conversation at the end of that the marriage was over and um, I thought it's now or never you know so I went back home called a family meeting and uh, said, you know, we're getting a divorce and um, we're getting a divorce because I'm gay. And there was just this, boom, like nothing, you know, no response whatsoever. And then people began looking at their watches like, whoa, you know, they're out <laughs> And, and it, it was, I was sitting there going, I don't believe what's just happened. Like, I've just told them probably the most important mm. thing I've ever said to any of them. And I'm sitting in a room on my own within five minutes. And then I, the phone went and I get this call <clears throat> into my sister and she goes, you do know we love you, don't you? And I said, well, I did, but thank you for saying it because that's the first time we'd ever verbalized that. And I was 28 at the time. I've never heard those words. And then put the phone down, another call. My brother, we're in the pub now, meet us. <laughs> so I go down to our pub, you know, very typical sort of, you know, um, Northwestern England, you know, working class lads really. Um, my two brothers are there. They didn't want to talk about it while my sisters were there again, this whole. So um, I get a pint and sit down and my brothers go, okay, so what's it like? And they were really, <laughs> they were really intrigued, you know. And I said, well, do you remember when we had black and white TV when we were kids? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, do you remember the day we got a color TV? Yeah. Did you want to go back to black and white? No. That's what it's like. And, and <laughs> I've never from that, that point on, it, it sort of shifted the dynamic yeah. for us and it meant that we began to communicate. Yeah, that, was, that was the beginning, really, I think, of, of some pretty major healing that happened yeah. within our family and within the family dynamic because there'd been a lot of denial happening. And I was the first one to sort of step out of the denial. Mm. So um, 
I also have got a, a master's degree in denial and a minor in self-flagellation. So guess where I chose to go next? Saudi Arabia. Makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> so I go to the least gay-friendly place on the planet. <laughs> and um, I end up spending 10 years there in wow. variety of positions. I run my own company. I started a training and development company. Um, and we did pretty well. <clears throat> and then I got uh, headhunted by um, what's now BA Systems, and, uh, you know, they were kind of the antithesis of everything that I wanted to be, really. But I couldn't resist it. It was just, A, they paying me a ridiculous amount of money to do it. And B, it was like, wow, the belly of the beast. I could get inside and have a look. So I did. And, um, and it was quite eye-opening. Uh, and what I saw at the senior level, I was at, you know, board level, was um, a lot of people who were very disconnected, and I recognised it. Like, mm. I could, I saw where they were. It was like the lights are on, but nobody's home. Yeah, a little bit scary. The first time I looked in my CEO's eyes, and it was just nothing. But I and that, of course, is how they make those decisions. You know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, it, long story short, I got really very stressed. Uh, the stress had been building, I think, throughout my life, and I got to a point where I just knew I, I had to do something or it was going to blow and I was drinking a lot, smoking a lot, wasn't eating well, wasn't looking after myself well. And it was just sort of survival mode, you know. And uh, I started to do yoga. And yoga really, it just opened my eyes in so many ways. I'd done it to de-stress. And uh, indeed, it did that for me very well. I was doing Ashtanga, so it was quite full on. And I just got addicted. I started to do it every day. Weekends, I would do it three times a day, three different classes, and I just loved it. <clears throat> and it really opened my eyes, and more than that, it opened my heart, I think. And I began to <clears throat> realize that there was more to me than meets the eye. Mm. Um, I'd had an experience with uh, LSD at 28. I was about 36, 37 at this point. But at 28, I first time I'd fallen in love, and I'd, I was with this, this guy that I'd fallen in love with, and we were in Key West in Florida, it was beautiful evening and I was a Marxist at that point you know I mean I'd, I'd thrown the baby out with the bathwater after sort of Roman Catholicism Christian brothers and he knew that and he was very awake and he said okay we're going to do this thing that's called the breath of Buddha and it's some very very pure LSD and you know you're totally safe I'm with you and I love this guy immensely and I trusted it completely so it was the perfect set and setting I now know but essentially what happened was I woke up and I was just like, holy shit, did I get this wrong? You know, mm. it was like the veil came up. Mm. Yeah. And a bit like the black and white color TV thing. Yeah, yeah. It was the same. But as you know, you know, there's just a depth to it that I hadn't seen. I, I think I remember it from when I was a kid. It seemed more like a remembering, as you probably know. And I got just a lot of information. You know, we're eternal. We don't die. Death is an illusion. The body dies. Um I could see the interconnectedness of everything. I could feel it. I knew it. I was omniscient. There was nothing to know. There was, there was no ego. The ego completely dissolved. Yeah. And I was just this point of awareness. Yeah. And it um, that rocked my world. But it wasn't... It was that thing of, you know, you can wake up and then you sort of get pulled into other things. And that happened to me in the whole Saudi thing, the coming out, all of that. Um, so it was really more like 36, 37 when I finally came back to it. And uh, yoga shifted it for me big time. I got to a point where I realized I had to get out of Saudi. It was just not the place to be. And I thought, you know, I'll take a gap year. I didn't take my gap year between uni and uh, or A-levels and uni. I'll take it now. So uh, the plan was I'd go to a yoga teacher training. I was looking for something. I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I had a sense that I'd know when I found it. And uh, all else failed, I'll just I'll open a yoga retreat. Um, so all options look pretty good, you know, and my little glyph or, or sort of avatar was I had this image of an alarm clock and it was a spiritual alarm clock and that's what I was looking for. And, um, so I just took this year out and I was expecting, you know, to go sort of oming with monks in the Himalayas and, you know, be in the Andes and stuff and I had a few sort of areas of the world I wanted to check out. And, yeah. and in fact, Within eight weeks of leaving Riyadh, I found breath. I found breath work. And I knew it was, I just knew it. It was like, 
those times when you get complete clarity, yeah. when it's just a hundred percent clear, ah, this is it. This is exactly what I was looking for. So I just, you know, had this experience and it was in a group. There wasn't much facilitation, but I had this connection that just rocketed me into a place I'd never been to. Um, not unlike the LSD experience, actually, it was like a huge connection with the all that is or whatever you choose to call that. And I knew it was going to be the next chapter. Um, I'm a curious fellow and I'd been experimenting and, and traveling all over the world, checking things out. But this one just nailed it. It completely mm. nailed it. And, um, and it had been with me all along. You know, that was the, the irony of it. Yeah. <clears throat> so I thought, okay, uh, two things. Why doesn't everybody know about this if it's mm. so cool? And they didn't. I'd been checking out stuff. I was in the zeitgeist. I was exploring. Never come across breathwork. Pranayama, yeah, but not breathwork. Mm. So, uh, which I see as something different to, uh, to pranayama. Um, and then what would happen if you put people in a really beautiful environment and did this with them? Like maybe a couple of times a day, maybe throw some body work in there, maybe have a, some you know vegan uh, food, some really great clean food, and nature, just let nature work its magic. And that's how the, the retreat um, sort of evolved. And I'm sitting in it now. Yeah. It's now uh, 16 years later. And uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if you'll be able to see this. Let me see if I can show you. But, I've seen some images, but oh, wow. Yeah, so it's basically Beautiful. just, you know, what you're looking at there is volcanoes. Yeah, the ocean. and the ocean, um, yeah. It's, you know, I am, I'm kind of sitting in my dream, really. I'm yeah. sitting in what I envisaged yeah. back there. And, <clears throat> and, um, and I thought, you know, how can I communicate it to people as effectively as possible? And that was when my, my previous job, one of my roles in, in Saudi Arabia had been as a PR manager, PR and comms manager for BAE Systems, a lot of their joint ventures. So yeah. I thought, aha, I know how to work it. So I worked it big time and I just hammered the press, like really, to the point where, remember one time the Daily Mail came back and said, you can't print anything with your name on it. You're overexposed. <laughs> right. So right, that's a brilliant problem. I'm really happy with that. So, uh, but, you know, everything, Guardian, Telegraphs, we, the first yeah. thing we got was major was, Sunday Times style magazine, and we got like a three-page, very complimentary article. Uh, a woman called Stephanie Theobald, who I'm yeah. still friends with to this yeah. day. And um, it went from like, you know, one email coming in a day to the, the day after the Sunday Times, we had 2,086 wow. emails in the inbox. Great. So it just, yeah, there were a few other milestones, like Evening Standard, that did the same. Yeah. Uh, EasyJet magazine, 4.5 million readership, that did the same. So um, I had a great PR with me, a lady called Amy Hartley, who's just produced a book actually on breathwork. Um, and we were just a great team and we, we just went for it. And we really put breathwork on the map as far as UK goes. And what I'd realized was that a lot of people in breathwork at the time were great, they were lovely people, but had no clue commercially at mm. all. They didn't know how to run a business. They didn't know how to promote themselves. So I, yeah. I'd already done that. I yeah. kind of got that t-shirt. So I knew I could be of service, you know, and, uh, and obviously, you know, it was how I was making my living. So I really wanted it to, to uh, succeed. And um, I guess you could say the rest is history, Ed. You know, been doing it now for 16 years. Love it more than I ever have done. Um, continually inspired by what mm. I see. Um, I'm still curious. I'm still checking stuff out. And uh, if there's anything new around, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go have a look at it. I'll try it. But with Breathwork, you know, I've yet to find something really that works so quickly and is so tangible. And for me, that's really the acid test. When you present me with something, I've got this method X that I love. It's like, okay, how are you different as a result of doing it? And how long did that take? Yeah. And is it sustainable? Are you maintaining it? And if, if the question, you know, if you can answer that, uh, then great. But if it's like, well, I don't really know how I'm different or, oh yeah, I've been doing it for, you know, 20 years and I'm still an addict. Well, something's not working there, you know. Um, so I'm quite picky in terms of what I use. And at the moment, you're asking about personal practice. At the moment, Breathwork's been in there since day one. But I'm doing quite a lot of meditation now. And I'm actually exploring now with working in like the quantum field as opposed to just working in that physical, mental, emotional, spiritual 
uh, you know, to me, everything's spiritual. The terminology is a bit tough, really. Um, <laughs> it's, there's facets of the diamond. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, it's all the same thing. It just looks different. Yeah. So the classifications and the way we talk about it are limited, you know, as you know, just by our use of words. Words are conceptual in their nature. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's just been incredible and to watch the wave i'm calling it the breath illusion to watch that happen and to see that happen globally you know as part of the global awakening is just fantastic and now you know look at the uk from you know from a point where uh when i started i had zero cash i did it on a wing and a prayer uh but i used to take cabs in london because i didn't have any money for market research but i thought london cabbies would be a really good kind of indicator of the zeitgeist. So I always used to tell them what I did for a living and they would always crack up and be like, oh my God, people are paying you for oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a great scam, you know. <laughs> and I tell them now, you know, nowadays, and they're like, oh yeah, my wife has panic attacks. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I've got sleep apnea. Is that related to breath? They've always got something to say, oh, when I'm stressed, I notice I stop breathing. So the whole consciousness around breath mm. has shifted. And that's wonderful. I couldn't be happier mm. about how it's going. And now you've got all like the millennials are coming up, you know, and uh, lots of new people on the scene. Brilliant, you know, brilliant. Mm. Um, there's no competition whatsoever. It's really more about, for me now, really, the breath is simply, it's a vehicle. I love it. I really love it. And I, I, I have such respect for it. But it's really a vehicle for us bringing our own essence to yeah. the situation. Yeah. You know, um, it is a vehicle when all said and done. So I love to see that the diversity of what's coming out now, you know, and I've started my training programs. They're quite different, I think, to what's out there. Um, I kind of it was, you know, um, I guess I backed away from, from training and the whole, like, do the book. People say, oh, you've got to write the book. And I just wasn't feeling it. And it's like, you know, unless I've got something to say, it's actually really different. I'm not interested, you know, I want to be authentic. I don't want to just do the mm, mortgage or the yeah, kids. Yeah. It's like, you've got to feel it. And I just simply didn't feel it. I've been approached a number of times, you know. Um, and it was the same with training. And then suddenly it was like, oh my God, what about if I did the complete opposite of what's out there? So now, you know, people are doing sort of volume trainings and got like 30, 40 people on the go at the same time. Uh, and some of it's online and you know I just I have my doubts about that it's like it's such an interactive thing I think there's a certain amount of information you can transmit online but can you teach somebody how to be a really good facilitator online I don't think so I don't believe that's possible um, but what I thought was when I looked at all the facilitators that are out there and there's some great people doing amazing work I was like okay what's the differentiator between somebody who's good and somebody who's outstanding. And what became really clear was it was how much work they'd done on themselves. How clear were they? Yeah. How much clarity yeah. could what, they bring? What kind of space they client? can hold? Yeah. Yeah, totally. How could exactly that? So I thought, okay, that's what I'll do. So I call it a mentoring program. I don't call it a training program. And it's basically taking four people at a time through a very deep process, taking them into their process more deeply and kind of having their back while we do that over a six-month period of sort of formal training and then a six-month period of sort of informal, I've got the back if you need me. And, um, and it's been working great and they just knocked it right out of the ballpark. Mm. Um, I'm pretty picky in terms of who I sort of accept onto it. You know, there's a process of interview, et cetera, before you get on. And, um, yeah, it's just really exciting and I'm just I'm kind of amazed to find myself in the position of doing that. Um, mm because I see myself kind of as a beginner still. And I don't mean that in a sort of a faux, you know, mm. ingenue way. I really do. I mean, I'm learning every single day about mm. my own journey and every single person I work with teaches me something. Yeah. So um, what I think, you know, the way I look at it is it's a sort of a, I could say it's a path, and I'm a certain way along the path. And I can go, oh, okay, it's that way. You know, it's this way, come this way. Mm. So... It's not, I don't see myself as the fountain of all knowledge. 
um, anything but, actually. You know, I have certain skills. It's a bit like the Liam Nielsen thing, isn't it? Nielsen thing. You know, I have, I have a certain set of skills and whatever. <laughs> and I've, I've practiced them a lot and I've used it with clients, you know, pretty much since day one. Mm. So 16 years, you know, if I'm not kind of good at it by now, I should go and pack up and go home. Um, but there's always something to learn. And I'm yeah. still probably more excited than I've ever been about it, to be honest, given what's happening now. Yeah. And I love your humility about it. It's so true. Even after 16 years, there's still so much you can learn and explore. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. um, it's it's weird because a lot of the, you know, I've really changed my ideas kind of since I began. I think I began with a sort of noble, like, I'm going to save the world. Yeah, I know. Which is a lovely <laughs> intention. But it's like, None you of know, us do that. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's that sort of little bit of messiah saviour complex. Mm. And, and it's just inappropriate, you know, because what's become really apparent is the relationship is flat. Yeah. It's totally flat. There is no hierarchy. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, for me, it's like playing tennis energetically with somebody. We just bat, you know, to each other. And, uh, and you know, we've all got an ego. And, and again, you know, there was a total misconception about the ego. It's like, well, we have to get rid of your ego. No, you know, I'd probably be like lying on a beach in Kopipi smoking weed if it wasn't for my ego. You know, that's what motivated me to get moving. It, mm. It's a motivator. It's a propellant. Mm. So it's not... Mm, something that we should uh, seek to sort of subjugate. It's more something that we seek to understand the mechanisms of yeah. and then embrace it, you know, into our being because it's an integral part of who we are. It's it's illusory, you know, but at the same time, it's got this apparent existence. So um, I treat my ego very much like I would if I had a little sort of eight-year-old brother, Yeah, um, you know, I, I give him a lot of hugs. I'm very patient with him. I'm completely, uh, I've got a lot of compassion uh, for the ego and I wouldn't let him drive my car. <laughs> that sort of deal. So, um, so I think, yeah, I sort of changed quite a lot. Around humility, you know, gosh, I don't even know what to say about that, except that I'm an Aries. We're not known for our, our, uh, our humility. And... Um, yeah, I think there's, there's a sort of a thing I've noticed um, when I first started and I started to get these results, I thought it was me. And that went to my head for mm. sure. And I see it happening a lot, you know, not so much for my, which my trainees because I kind of preempt that, you know, yeah. happening. But I see yeah. it a lot out there with people who are in the healing professions. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. and it's, a, it's a reasonable mistake to make, you know, <clears throat> but it's not us. No. Uh, as I said to you earlier, you know, this is a vehicle for something bigger than me. And um, and I'm really honoured and humbled by it and by what I see happening, uh, genuinely flawed by it sometimes, yeah. just the power of, of who and what we are. Yeah. Um, so I just feel really blessed to be able to do this work. And, um, yeah, the ego has its place, you know. I, I really like the whole thing of... Um, that, you know, the Tibetans don't have a word for enlightenment. They, they call it enlightening. It's mm. a continuous process. And, um, you know, there's a whole crap, frankly, talked about enlightenment. Um, to me, it's a process of deconstruction. I'm very much really like that Ajishanti quote that's banded yeah. around a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's a process of deconstruction. Yeah. It's not about becoming this rarefied being who wears white bombs left, right, and center. It's about deconstructing the smoke and mirrors that you really didn't need in the first place, yeah. but you thought you did. And there's the mistake. It's that pivotal moment when you, because you know no better, and because you trust so, you're so open and trusting. For me, you know, for most people, it's parents. For me, it definitely was. I took their baggage to be a reflection of me. And therefore, I made certain assumptions about myself that were simply not true. Mm-hmm. And then I built a life based on those res- uh, assumptions. And mine were essentially, I'm not worthy of love. That was my core wound, if you want to call it that. And I built a life based on that. Guess what my relationships were like? <laughs> Car crashes. You know, I just kept choosing these people who wouldn't love me, who couldn't mm. love me, actually. Not wouldn't, couldn't. They weren't in a position where they could. So, and then I, you know, I got that awakening of just like, oh my God. It was just a misunderstanding. And of course, when you take out that sort of 
keystone lie, if you want to call it that, and you replace it with the truth, mm. I am lovable, I am worthy. Oh, my Lord, look at what happens now, the domino effect of that. So, so it's just an incredible journey, and it's the ultimate journey. You know, I, I love traveling. I've traveled to sort of, I don't know, like 97 countries by now, I think. And, uh, you know, I've dropped acid on top of Machu Picchu and all of, the, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, that was one of my bucket list things. <laughs> I did it a while back. It was amazing, actually, I have to say. But, um, you know, this is the ultimate journey, the, 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 the journey you're having with yourself, the deepening of the connection you're making with yourself. There's nothing that even comes close. Mm. It, not even close. It's, it's a real trip. So, um, so for me, it's more about our misperceptions and like correcting those misperceptions, you know, uh, being brought up in the Roman Catholic tradition, you know, holy shit, guilt, shame, you know, mm. all of the sex, sexuality. Wow. Um, it's a heavy program. It's a really, really effective program. So getting to deconstruct that, boom, was just freedom. The first time I made love with a guy, I fully expected a lightning bolt to come through the ceiling yeah. and incinerate both of us, you know. Yeah. I was quite surprised when it didn't. Um, so this idea of the judgmental God, you know, and uh, it was that night actually in Key West and um, it's the night we, we did, it seems like we're talking about acid a lot, um, you know, a lot of the 60s, 70s Buddhists when they were kind of coming up out of that whole conscious movement on the west coast of the States, they were all dropping acid like there's no tomorrow. For me, I don't have anything particularly against it. I'm really interested in how we could use uh, let's say, uh, natural, uh, natural plant medicines for mental and emotional health. That's happening now, which is amazing. Yeah. But um, at the time, it was just, you know, I, I thought of it as grace. It was just pure grace coming in. Um, the vehicle is almost mm. a side issue. It was just like, that was my time. And that was when, you know, I woke mm. up. And I remember looking at this guy I was deeply in love with. And I looked at him and I looked at his eyes and I was just like, holy shit, <laughs> he's God. And then these little cartoon brackets came up and went in training, close brackets. Really? I was like, ah. In <laughs> yeah. training. So, I love it. so, and it's like, you know, Osho said that as well, rule Buddha's pretending not to. So that was a big one for me because this whole idea of an external God, it just completely changed to divinity is within us. Yeah. It's the most fundamental part of our being and then the smoke and mirrors, which is where we started yeah. in this part of the conversation. We just need to deconstruct them back to our essence, realize that we are wholly worthy, wholly lovable, mm. sacred beings, you know, and yeah. um, the whole thing, all of it, you know, it's, it's a miracle. Yeah. You know, the whole thing, we're in the middle of this amazing, mysterious creation. I'm still, you know, in awe. In fact, probably more in awe than I ever have been. I seem mm. to go between awe and gratitude a lot these days. Mm. And I don't want to sound Pollyanna-ish about it at all. It's not like, you know, my life's perfect, I've got the red Ferrari. It's nothing to do with that. It's to do with a sort of a quality of being mm. that's gradually sort of been it's, revealed. Yeah, know. that's beautiful. And that so, really leads well into like the question I have for you, which is this quality of being that you mentioned, which is exactly, you know, what... Um, I guess it's the, the idea of the temple is about kind of reigniting, reawakening, being with that quality of being. How do you, how do you weave that into your daily life, into your yeah. work, into, into what you're doing? How do you stay connected with it? Well, yeah, um, there's two things really. Uh, when my father died, um, I was holding him when he died. And at the time I was, you know, as I said, it was, it was my early 20s, I was a Marxist. And, uh, <laughs> and, but I was holding him as he was leaving and, um, and he, he left. And I remember looking at him and just having this absolute knowing that he was no longer there. Mm. And it wasn't even intellectual. I knew it with every fiber of my being. He, my dad, was no longer there. The essence of who he was had gone. Yeah. And um, that was a revelation that the body was a vehicle. It was like, the, you know, some people call it the space suit, however you wish to mm. term that. So, so that was kind of a, ah, oh, 
So if that, and that started the train of thought then, you know, because then it's like, well, if we're not that, then what are we? So that began the, the sort of journey, you could say. And uh, I see really that as grace as well, to be there for that moment yeah. was not only beautiful and heart-rending. Heart I mean, it was just so sad as well. I was, uh, but happily, we sort of made up mm. like a couple of days before um, he died. And weirdly, I mean, this is the Roman Catholic thing, but he was in a coma and um, I was in Bangkok and my sisters kind of called and they were like, we don't need to worry, but he's in a coma. I like, up, you know, get back home. Got back home on the Thursday. And on that morning, the priest had come to give him the last rites. And when they touched his third eye, with the, they gave him something called extreme unction. It's sort of a sacrament before you die. Yeah. And they put the finger on the third eye and he woke up. Yeah. Like came right back into like full cognizance and was there when I got back on the afternoon. And actually, the, when I said, can I get you anything? He said he'd like a beer. So we sat, had a beer together. And then on the, Sunday, on the Saturday morning, he died. But this idea of like the body is simply a vehicle. And, uh, you know, it, it really sort of seeps into this idea of the temple. Like, what is our temple? Um, I, I like interior design. And uh, I remember my wife saying to me once when I was married, she's like, you know, our house has this feeling of like, it's like either a museum meets a temple. Mm. Everything's just so pristine. And, you know, uh, I guess that could be because I'm only retentive, but it could also be that I have this sense of, uh, I, my environment's really important to me. Yeah. Um, but the temple really, you know, my house, yeah, you know, I love where I live. I'm this amazing island, this volcanic island of Lanzarote. Um, I guess nature is really my temple you know when i go to london to work i love it because i love seeing my clients and i love what i do there but i'm so happy to leave after sort of 10 days or so it's such an artificial environment yeah so you've got that kind of environment aspect environmental aspect um but then you've got you know your body your mm. body as a temple and you know it's an often it's almost become a cliche now you know my body is a temple <laughs> um but it, but it is, you know, and as somebody who's, you know, used to drink GNTs like a fish and I smoked 40 a day when I was in Saudi, you know, uh, did ridiculous things to it, um, didn't treat it very well at all. And I think what yoga kind of put an end to that because as I began to do yoga, I could feel my body. And what I realized was like a lot of us, I've been living here, you know, mm. the whole time. I had no relationship with what was going on below so when I began to do yoga, I'm like, you know, I could feel my lungs. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore because I, I can feel what's happening. Yeah. So there was a sort of a deepening that happened. I call it spiraling in. And, it, and essentially, I just began to deepen the relationship I was having with myself. And that was part of that was the body mm. and sort of the reverence for the body. Um, and, you know, I fell off the wagon. I'm kind of, I kind of like cheesecake. So that's sort of, uh, you know, sugar still is in there and occasional dairy. But mainly, uh, you know, at the moment, I'm just doing pure vegan and it feels great. And my body just so appreciates that. I know it really likes it. And when I go on the road, it's a little bit more difficult to do that. Yeah. And I can feel that too, you know, and um, uh, things like alcohol. I sort of, it just... Yeah, I think it's the law of dim diminishing returns for me with yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I agree. A really good glass of red wine, like a yeah. really good one. Amazing. Really lovely. Second, not so great. <laughs> Third, probably not. Fourth, and then, you're out of it. Exactly. And then, you know, yeah. I was a so mistake. I, I, you know, I've just, it's funny with the lockdown, I haven't drunk at all. It's my birthday, and it's probably the first birthday since <laughs> I was of legal age to drink, but I didn't drink. And I, it just was irrelevant, you know, yeah. it's irrelevant. Um, one of the things really that I've noticed with, I work quite a lot with addictions and uh, with some people who are on various kinds of drugs. And one of the things I've noticed is uh, there is always a positive intention with drug use, always, mm. <laughs> with any kind of drug use. It's to avoid pain and feel better. Mm. So what I see, particularly with, like, with things like opiates and stuff like that, is there is this great intention that, that for me, they're actually seeking God. Yeah. They're seeking it, but they're seeking it in completely the wrong direction. They're seeking it in oblivion. You're not going to find God in oblivion and disconnection. 
you're going to, whatever you want to call that, by the way, you know, God, I call it Derek a lot of the time, just because it sort of diffuses the whole gene like issue. Yeah. yeah, or Bob, if you're in the state, Bob. Yeah. You know, Dave, exactly, you know. So it's not going to be found in obscurity, it's going to be found in awareness. Mm. So what I, you know, what gets me high these days is, you know, how aware and awake can mm. I be? And uh, again, you know, back to that thing of uh, the Tibetans calling it enlightening or awakening like a continuous process, the IMG, you know. Um, it's just levels of awakening, you know. Yeah. And personally, I just want to see how high I can get, <laughs> you know. Um, part of that is definitely nature, and that's probably why I live where I live. Um, you know, if all you've heard about Lanzarote is Lanzagrotti, then I suggest you come over and have a look because it's astounding. Wow. We've got a small island, 60 by 25 miles, and you've got 352 volcanoes on that island, mm. uh, all of which are dormant, but there's thermal activity. <laughs> so my house looks at volcanoes in the oceans, so you literally got earth, air, yeah. fire, water, complete balance. Yeah. So immediately, and people come to the retreat in various states of disarray, you know, within 24 hours, the horizontal completely chilled. We started to work with the breath. The magic has begun. And I call the island the other therapist in the equation, you know, because just the, the beauty of just being here is stunning. Just to yeah. look at the view, that's just healing in itself or, or get in the ocean, you know, amazing. Mm. Uh, obviously sunlight, which is, we, we talked about that just before the recording, you know, it's got a great, great weather, you know, all year round. So, um, and especially, you know, now it's, it's become even more apparent. A lot of talk about immune boosting. Yeah. So, you know, vitamin D, bingo. You know, <laughs> I'm from Manchester, uh, not known for its tropical climate. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I figured after 19 years of living in Manchester, I've done my rainfall. You've done your rainfall, yeah. yeah. You've had an... Absolutely. I definitely uh, I'm, I'm up for sun. And, uh, yeah, you know, it just affects how we feel. So... In terms of, you know, the original thing about temple, it's all a temple. The whole thing is just, there's nothing, how is it? I think Randa said something, you know, it's nothing, oh, maybe it was Osho, nothing but Buddhas, you know. I'm just in awe at the mystery of this. Yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, everybody and his dogs trying to explain what it's all about and, You've got all the various theologies, which are all essentially saying the same thing, um, you know, in their various coded ways of being. One of my favorite books is actually um, Neil Donald Walsh, Conversation with God, part one. And he just says it, you know, you are God. Mm. No code. You don't need an IQ of 180 to understand it. He just says it like mm. it is. You are God. And this is God, the whole thing. Yeah. So it's all a temple. Um, you know, our body is a vehicle, but it's sacred. You know, the whole thing, there's nothing that isn't sacred. Yeah. So it's almost like the word... It's like a trick question, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like the word wants to contain it. It's uncontainable. Yeah, you know, yeah it, really it keeps expanding. God, oh, the trembling totally. of the breath. Oh, but it's also my body and it's this and it's the whole universe. And it's yeah, everything's yeah, yeah. a temple, exactly. It's, it's almost like one of those things where I think it was on Animal House when um, the John Belushi movie where, you know, somebody's stoned for the first time and they're looking at their fingernail going, there could be a whole universe of one <laughs> atom of my fingernail. You know? Exactly. And it's, it's sort of that kind of thing. It's yeah. truly awe-inspiring. It's, and it's... It's it's not about the the physical. It's the state of being. The totally, it's yeah. just the state totally. of being. You see it, or yeah. you feel it, or you don't. Yeah, really. exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I think in in some places it's easier to recognize it than others. Yeah, you know, environment definitely affects. So yeah. you know, I've got uh, I stay in uh, between King's Cross and Angel when I'm in London, and luckily I've got a park uh, uh, right in front of me, and you know, trees and stuff. So that's okay. But when I walk into sort of around King's Cross, it's just like, whoa, it's so chaotic. Um, it, for me, that's that's uh, distracting. Yeah, it's harder. Sort of, you know, the tendency is to go out and go external yeah. when there's all of that stimulation externally. And, um, and of course, there's such artificial environments, you know. Um, I love design. I love architecture. St. Pancras, you know, what a bizarre building. Br br brilliant. I mean, truly amazing. 
but completely bizarre. So I get a lot of pleasure from that. But it's it's weird how we've built these artificial environments mm. and stuff. They're not human-only at all. I work in Tokyo sometimes. And, uh, you know, Tokyo's got like 34 million people in it. And it's just nuts. I don't know any... Did you ever see... There's a movie by Fritz Lang called Metropolis, where he's... It's just... No, it's like it's a, about... his vision of the future yep. and sort of industrial... Uh, age to the nth degree and for me really Tokyo's a little bit like that I remember walking out of the main railway station first time I got there walking out and looking at the people I'd never seen so many people in my life <laughs> festivals all of it it was and I was about to freak out and then I realized like oh my god it's quiet and you could just there was no sound and yet there were all these people. And then I noticed they were all walking in really ordered ways. Like if you wanted to go over there, you took that route. If you wanted to come over here, you took that. I was just watching all of them. Oh my God. And then the cars were all hybrid electric. So there's no sound of cars. And they don't bib horns. It's like culturally inappropriate to bib your horn. So it was just like, whoa, this is freaky, you know. But equally bizarre. Uh, but not quite so distracting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, especially right now, I think a lot of people are feeling quite lost. Um, there's a lot of external stimulus, especially media. You know, this is the truth. No, this is the yeah. truth. No, this is the truth. Yeah. You know, so I'm using the phrase kind of, where's my true north? You know, where's my truth? And where my inner compass? And of course, breath, great way to access that. Um, because we know we can feel it you can feel when something's not right you can feel when something's out of kilter you can feel when something doesn't resonate for you and um, I guess that's one of the reasons I continue to just be completely in love with with breath work with the Mm. breath just even one breath you know it can just just punctuate Mm. a state Mm. of complete you know spinning out and it can bring you back into like, oh, uh, yeah. here I am again, you know, presence. And that's a really good, I guess, piece of, not, not advice is the wrong word, but piece of wisdom for us on lockdown right now. Totally. You know, you know, completely. Um, we're all on the roller coaster of it. Mm. And um, the main things I'm hearing from people, I'm working online at the moment, so main things I'm hearing from people are feeling lost. Yeah. Um, feeling anxiety um and then it'd be bizarre feelings of euphoria seemingly bizarre feelings of euphoria oh, yeah, yeah. and a little bit like yeah that and i've definitely experienced that throughout it you know i was just like oh my god big holiday you know yeah. like wow <laughs> and, then, and then kind of you know i'd watched all the netflix back stuff that i wanted to watch and, and all of that and fleabag both series and you know afterlife both series and now it's like okay now i'm bored you know so uh, that's the human experience. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Um, the question is, what do you do with it? And um, I, I just, you know, breathed, meditated, uh, used it as a time to go deeper into the relationship with myself. I'm, I'm in lockdown on my own. My partner's in Barcelona. Um, and, uh, and it's been good. It's been good to do that mm. because I didn't realize quite how... I didn't realize quite how fast I was going, actually, to be honest. Um, and when I look back on it, I was just like, oh, my God, my scale is nuts, you know. I've got it. And I didn't think it was. Yeah. I, you know, I put in my – I'm pretty uh, disciplined with, like, getting time off and holidays and things. But when I'm working, I'm already working. Mm. And that has got to change. And that's, you know, some of the sort of shifts. Like, where do we go from here? Is our life going to be the same or different? Mm. Afterwards, yeah. I'm definitely going to be re-engineering some of that to yeah. give myself more times like these when we can just take time for ourselves to just nurture whatever, you know, the relationship we're having with ourselves. Mm. So, um, yeah, our personal practice just becomes ever more important. And especially now because, you know, the whole thing about respiratory health, duh, you know, breath work, respiratory health. <laughs> Do you think there might be a connection? So, um so I, I, I put, you know, I've seen this for a while, really. I think you're going to see breathwork becoming uh, as, if not more, popular than yoga. Mm. I think it's going to be 
it's exploding now, mm. but I don't think you, I don't think we're anywhere near the top of the curve. Okay, yeah. um, and the, you know, I love yoga. I really love it. It's got a really special place in my heart. You know, whatever style you're doing, it's just you know, if you're if you're going into it and you're really, uh, it can just it does so many different things for so many different people. So I love it. But the the downside of it is is that a lot of people won't even go there yeah. because of the perceived spirituality um, of, you know, uh, they see it as something like, oh, I'm, I'm not spiritual, it's not for me kind of thing. And that is complete, you know, mis- misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, but I noticed like where I work in, in London, I do workshops at a place called Daba, and they've taken all the iconography away and they just have very cool music, it's a very chilled environment, beautiful studios, and boom, they are packed. Mm. They're just packing them in. So it's almost like, you know, this stuff is so good. I'd love it to be available for everybody, irrespective of whether they think they're spiritual or not. Mm. Even that is, you know, that's such a crazy thing to say. I'm not spiritual. How could you not be, you know? But again, it's just a question of you don't know what you don't know. Mm. So for me, really, the big advantage of breathwork is it's got no dogma or mm. theology around it. And, um, you know, different people interpret it in different ways. And there's something for everybody. So, you know, you want to do like sacred feminine, yin, bingo, clarity breathwork, amazing women, doing beautiful, beautiful work. Um, you know, you want to do uh, more of the physiologically based somatic experiencing aspect, great, BBTRS, biodynamic breathwork, trauma release system, Gitten Tonkon, amazing teacher, mm. uh, off the chart. I mean, so good. What he does, something for everybody. Yeah. And you don't have to have that whole, um, <clears throat> you can say the trappings yeah. around it. You know, Spirit or God will come to you when you're good and ready. Mm. You know, it's not a question. You can't plan for that. I don't um, soapbox or preach to my clients. That's not my place. Mm. Simply not my place. You know, how arrogant would that be of me? You know, Mm. I have the truth and you're here to listen to my (laughs) truth. No, not at all. Your truth is your truth. Your Mm. journey is unique to you. And God or whatever you choose to call that will appear to you at exactly the right time for you. Yeah. Because that's how it works, and that's grace in action. And to be quite honest, the biggest sort of spiritual experiences I've ever had have been the times when I've least expected it. I mean, really, like Sainsbury's Tuesday afternoon, a fish counter, epiphany, you know, and it's just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. You know? <laughs> um, so, and that's because our defenses are down. Yeah. And yet, you know, I meditated when I first began to meditate, you know, meditating for a year, I kind of, you know, meditating and I've got one eye open like is anything happening yet <laughs> of course it's not going to happen you're totally attached to an outcome mm. it's not transactional and I, I think that personally that was one of the, the big misunderstandings I had it was like okay I'll put the work in but I want the cookies it's totally inappropriate yeah. um, state or attitude to approach your spiritual life with it's just arrogant no other word for it, you know. And it's, you know, it's a misunderstanding. It's not how it works. You don't no. put it in a one and get it out of the other. No. Um, you know, it's it, it's really it's really perfect. And uh, at some point, you'll kind of get the perfection, mm. and then you'll just be in awe of it mm. because yeah. the intelligence is working all the time. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about awakening, as I'm sure you've had your own experiences, no doubt, is that you begin to see the intelligence at work. And, you know, some people call that synchronicity. Um, I think that doesn't do it justice. It's it's so big, you know. It's like this huge tapestry, you know. And uh, when you really see it working, it's just like, holy, <laughs> like, wow. This is beyond mind. Yeah. You can't possibly get it cognitively. There's no. no way. How could you possibly get what's created this in your mind. You can't. So you've got to go beyond mind, and that's where your feelings come in, and that's why it's so important for us to connect with our hearts and to really deepen the relationship we're having with our bodies, our temples, and to really listen, you know. And I'm quite verbose, as you've probably gathered by now, but, um, 
but you know it's so important to just stop and listen mm. and that's where meditation comes in yeah great to just be in stillness yeah um yeah and so, what comes to mind is um you mentioned you know the lockdown breathing and the lockdown and and they making it very yeah. accessible to people. And what comes to mind straight away is the you've developed an, an app, right? Do you have the Breath Guru? Yeah. So, um, yeah. so what I realised was, you know, that noble cause that I had at the beginning, <laughs> like you know, I'll heal the world, kind of thing, or I'll take breath work to the world. Yeah. Um, what I realised was that no matter, you know, with all the PR and everything, um, and it really took off, and that was great, and you know, the retreats full all the time, and that's great, and the workshops. People are, are ever more interested, so we get tons of people coming in and one-on-ones and all of that. And then I just realized that, like, you know, and now training people and they're going off and doing mm. amazing things. You know, one of my recent graduates, he just did an Instagram. He got, like, 350 people. Mm. Amazing. He's Great. just graduated. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, well done, James. So, um, but what I realized was there was a limit to what I could do um, in person, and this stuff is too good mm. to be limited. So I thought, okay, technology, and the obvious way was an app. Yeah. So we um, we built an app. It was a labor of love. It took way longer than I anticipated. What I've found out about myself now is I'm an eternal optimist. So when I say something's going to take X amount of time, double it, and you'll probably yeah. be about right. Yeah. Um, but either way, you know, we did it. It's a sort of a, it's a beta version. It's been out two years now. It's kind of like our market research. And um, I remember the I remember the day when I sort of pressed go on it. And uh, I was in Sicily at the time. I was in a place called Cefalu in Sicily. It's looking out at the ocean. It's on this hotel balcony. Uh, I was just like, okay, boom, and it it goes. And you know, it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. Uh, the feedback's incredible. Um, in terms of where we go next with it, because there's going to be a new version which will look quite different and be quite different for the user, yeah. uh, a bit more complex, a bit more bespoke. Um, but in a way, that was the point of putting it out. The, the you know, I wanted something that was really accessible, mm. that wasn't going to cost the earth, yeah. that anybody could access, so we can get the information out to them. Yeah. So I think it's like four quid. Yeah. And I was thinking that um, most people can access that. My whole idea was, you know, coming from sort of working class background, I don't want money to be a barrier mm. to people accessing this mm. information, which could really make a difference. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's never going to be a money spinner, that's for sure. But it was sort of a labor of love and mm. part of service, you know. And um, it was complex. It was a lot more complex than I thought it would be to do it. But the results are amazing because I'm getting people, I had a guy, um, Somebody actually I worked with in China like 30 years ago and he'd um, had uh, depression then. And now, as you, you may know, I kind of had that for like 25 years until I find breath work. And then just 12 weeks later, blown mm. out of the water completely. I should have had shares in Kleenex at the time. <laughs> I was crying a lot. But at the end of it, I knew it was gone. You know, whatever that energy was, was all gone. And he's just had that experience over the last six months. And it's somebody that... I, I love him dearly. He's a great, great guy. One of those people that you're always going to be friends. It doesn't matter yeah. how often or not you see each other. He's just a lovely human being. And, and I'm just getting such a kick out of his feedback. It seems like, wow, you know, I just feel so excited about life. He's 10 years older than me, so he's sort of mid-60s. And he's like, I'm so excited about life. I've never felt so good. I love him working with the breath. He's somebody who doesn't meditate, you know, not doesn't massage, nothing. It's rocked his world. Mm. It's completely turned it around. And yeah. I get that a lot. Yeah. I get it a lot. So that's the, the beauty of the, the app is that, you know, it's almost like a little virtual me yeah. with my dulcet tones talking you through the guided uh, audios and yeah. like video tutorials so you understand what it is, how it works, what you may experience. Yeah. And, um, and that's fab, you know, it's just great. So we've got like, um, I've been working with Russell Brand recently. He was in Australia, so we've had a big spike in Australia recently. People coming over uh, from there. He blessed him. He's really talking about breathwork a lot, mm. which is great. He's been working with me and Bim Hoff. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of cool. And then, you know, um, what can we do next? And I just got a mail from a good friend in the States today, and she's like, okay, we're going to get one, one billion people 
meditating on the planet. And I'm just like, whoa, count me in. I'm up for that. So um, there'll be more about that coming out via the website quite soon. Um, they've got like Deepak Chopra on board. They've got yeah. Tony Robbins on board, Michael yeah. Beckwith on board already. So heavy hitters. Yeah. And the idea is just to get this mass, you know, mass meditation and just shift mm. consciousness. Yeah. So that's incredible. And for people to find yeah. find the app, is it called the Breathwork? Yeah, so Breath you just see, search on yeah. Breath Guru. Breath Guru. So the, the idea, with, uh, just to say, Ed, you know, when I first started, uh, my company was called Breathworks, and I never really liked the name. Mm. Honestly, work, and it's not work; it's joy. Mm. Um, so, and it was just, I was meditating one day, and it just dropped in, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, Breath it. Guru, that's genius. Yeah. So immediately we changed it, and I copyrighted it. And if you just go to, if you've got an uh, iPhone, if you go to the App Store, search on Breath Guru, it'll come up. Mm. You've got uh, Android, go to Google Play, and it'll come up. And it's it's a great next best. Mm. If you can't make it in person, if you're geographically remote or financially strapped, which of course you know, a lot of people are right now, then the app is a really, really good mm. first base. It's got some solid info, and it, it's got the guided audio yeah. in there. And I know when I started, I had a tape of my first teacher, I think it was a CD at the time. And I used to love doing my practice with her voice yeah. in the background. It really gave me some moral support. And I'm, I'm getting that sort of feedback that people really oh, like, yeah. feeling like somebody's got their back. And, yeah. um, so it's some great things. And, and uh, the next, I'm not going to say a time scale because I always get it wrong, but we are planning on sort of a, a, a version two, say, and yeah, that'll be a more bespoke. Okay. So, yeah. And if people want to take it further with you, how do they reach you? Yeah, so just go to the website. I've shifted a lot of stuff online now for obvious yeah. reasons. And uh, I, I was a little reticent, to be honest, about doing that. Um, I'd, done, I'd done it all, you know, before, not in any great numbers. And I'm very much sort of the interpersonal aspect. I really enjoy that. And I'm honestly, I'm blown away by what's happening incredible but of course when you think about it in terms of the quantum field there is no distance yeah so it makes perfect sense so i've actually really learned a lot over the last period the last two months um so we're doing online sessions if you're interested in sessions or workshops or retreats or any of that just visit breathguru.com yeah if you get the app and you start to do your practice, which of course is the, the idea, and you've got questions, please feel free, you know, do mail me info at breathguru.com. Right. I'm really, really happy to support yeah. you in your journey. And, um, you know, clearly I'm biased. I love this stuff. <laughs> it's worked amazingly well for me. It's, it really kind of saved me. That and yoga, I think, sort of saved me from uh, a pretty black and white, um, mm. sad uh, state of being so um so when i meet people who, who are living with anxiety or depression it's got a really special place in my heart um and you can zap it you know this is not a life sentence by any manner or means and uh, i work a lot with people who are on antidepressants um it still works you know it takes a, sometimes a little bit longer it's like they've got an energetic duvet around them just yeah. to get in there yeah. but it still works so yeah. There are very, very few contraindications for breath work. That's the other thing. It's so safe. Mm. You know, nobody, nobody's ever died from breathing. Mm. Quite the opposite. <laughs> Quite the know? opposite. So yeah. it's uh, the, only, the only sort of time I would be reticent about working with somebody would be um, if they're sort of borderline psychotic, if they've got serious mental issues on the go, then you don't want to be putting energy through mm. their electrical system and opening the crown chakra more. You know, it quite the opposite. So I, you know, I have worked with them, but I've talked to their health professional. We've sort of worked in sync. Yeah. But it's a really safe way to work, and in a way, that's the, the beauty of it is the utility. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what sex you are, what age you are, financial status, none of it. You know, even you know, I've worked with like a guy who just had a double bypass. Um, worked with a guy who's got half a lung. Still works. So it's for everybody. Mm. everybody can benefit from his kids my youngest client six weeks old <laughs> six Oldest weeks client, six weeks old yeah she was adorable uh she had um colic yeah and she was projectile vomiting and her parents were clients and they said well can you do anything i was like 
I got no clue at all, but I'll give it a go. So she came and I was a little bit worried because I work kinesthetically. Um, I feel stuff in my body. I can kind of tune in like a radio station to the client or the group. And um, I don't really, I'm not that visual usually. And with kids, you've got to ask for permission. If they're non-verbal, you've got to ask the higher self uh, if you can work with them. And I was worried in case I didn't get it. I didn't get a clear mm. uh, answer. And I, I asked, and I got this like really visual, like gold, blue, like trumpets, like, yes. <laughs> so I didn't even get worried about that. Yeah. And I just sat her on my tummy. And see, so yeah. kind of sat her here. She's facing that way. She's kind of on my knee. I start to do the breath, do, use the connected breath. She just followed it completely. She just went in sync with me. I do acupressure with my in-person clients. So I usually use thumbs, so I use my pinkies. And I just went along and just felt something around her left rib part of the rib cage. Went around there, felt, it felt like a little bubble wrap, bubble. And I just pressed it, it popped. She jumped, I could tell she felt nauseous. I also felt nauseous at that point, but it was a millisecond gone. Yeah. That was it, right as drained. She had a little energy blockage yeah. in her intestine. And yeah. she was great from that point on. It took three minutes, maybe. Yeah. Kids process their metabolism so much quicker. Mm. So, you know, with a, with a regular adult, sessions are normally an hour online, hour and 20 in person. But yeah, I mean, the point was the utility. Mm. So, you know, the, the, the 86-year-old turned a twin set pearls handbag. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, you know, this could be challenging in terms of sort of getting it to feel comfortable and getting it to release. And she was amazing, amazing woman. And we had a great time together. So... It's really for everybody, Ed, and that's the whole point, you know, that this is about inclusivity. It's not about exclusivity. We need to get everybody on board. Not need mm. to, but, you know, it's available for it's everybody. Available, yeah. Personally, I'd love it. The whole world was doing breath work. Wow. Yeah. Imagine how that would be, you know. That's beautiful. And meditating and taking time to really explore the relationship they're having with themselves and to improve the quality of that. And mm. come into acceptance, come into self-love, uh, and then there will be no need to project it out and create all the drama that's currently mm. ongoing. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. That's, I think that's a really nice invitation to to close with for people. Yeah, that's been really beautiful to speak to you today and to hear all your wisdom. And well, thank you for taking. Lovely the time. to connect with you, brother. Really yeah. lovely to connect with you. So yeah. it's so funny because we've been sort of you know facebook friends or whatever and messenger friends for ages yeah. but to actually sit in real time and connect with you and uh you you know you, you the connection so lovely mm. so clear got such a soft beautiful energy it's great really yeah. great keep shining look, thank you and i look forward to meeting in person one absolutely day. either crete or the canary or canary or islands yes absolutely. i was just saying i think the first per, the first place i ever went when i was six months old was lanzarote Oh, okay. No, no, time for a return visit. Time for a return visit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thank you. And you. Okay. Namaste. Take care, buddy. Bye.